0: no study so intriguing and yet so mysterious as that of the early religions of mankind. To trace back the worship of God to its simple origin, and to mark the gradual process of those degrading superstitions and hollowed lights which darkened and finally extinguished his presence in the ancient world. At first... Men enjoyed the blessings of nature as children do in an age of innocence without inquiring into causes. It was, in fact, sufficient for them that the earth gave them herbs, that the trees bore them fruit, that the stream quenched their thirst. They were happy, and every moment, though unconsciously, they offered a prayer of gratitude to him whom as yet they did not know then a system of theology arose amongst them vague and indefinite as the waters of the boundless sea. They taught each other that the sun, the earth, the moon, and the stars were moved and illumined by a great soul which was the source of all life, which caused the birds to sing, the brooks to murmur the sea to heave. It was a sacred fire which shone in the firmament, and in mighty flames. It was a strange being which animated the souls of men, and which, when the bodies died, returned unto itself again. ancient man silently adored this great soul in the beginning and spoke of him with reverence, and sometimes they raised their eyes timidly to his glittering, dwelling place on high, and soon they learned to pray. When those whom they loved lay dying, they uttered wild lamentations and flung their arms despairingly toward the mysterious soul. In times of trouble, the human mind, so imbecile, so helpless, always clings back to something that is much stronger than itself. As yet, in that time, they worshipped only the sun, the moon, and the stars not as gods but as visions of that divine essence which alone ruled and pervaded the earth the sky and the sea they adored him kneeling with their hands clasped and their eyes raised they offered him no sacrifices they built him no temples. You see, they were content to offer him their hearts, which were full of awe, in his own temple, which was full of the grandeur of nature. For the God they worshipped was indeed nature's God. And it is said by some that there are yet some barbarous islands where men have no churches nor ceremonies, and where they still worship God, reflected in the work of His uncountable hands, and the mystery and the balance and the perfection of nature. But you see not long content with this simple service. There were those amongst them who learned how to subvert a twist so that they could control the others around them. Prayer, which had first been an inspiration suddenly fell into a system The men, already grown wicked, prayed the, the Deity to give them abundance of wild beast skins and to destroy their enemies. They ascended eminences, mountaintops, and they built towers, as if hoping that, thus, their being near God, He would prefer their prayers to those of their rivals. Such is the origin of that superstitious reverence for high places which was universal throughout the whole, entire, heathen world. And then, it is clear in the ancient annals that He invented instruments which to his touch and to his lips gave forth notes of surpassing sweetness and with these melodies he enticed the wandering, innocent savages into the recesses of the forest and there, there Orpheus taught them precepts of obedience to the great soul and of loving kindness toward each other in harmonious words. And he became the high priest. And so they devoted groves and forests to the worship of the deity. There were men and envied his power over the herd who surrounded him for even then there were sheeple they resolved to imitate him and having studied these barbarians they banded together and called themselves their priests Religion is divine, but its ministers, after all, are men. The idea from the beginning that imperfect men could rule imperfect men is flawed, for alas, sometimes they are demons with the faces and wings of angels. The simplicity of men and the cunning of their priests has destroyed or corrupted all the religions of the world. surrounded by wild beasts of prey, and it was to that sun that they directed their worship as the great symbol in the heaven of the power of God and the source of all life on this earth. For remember, theirs was the worship of nature's God. Was the language of symbols, which was perhaps necessary in those times since letters had not been invented, but which perplexed the people and perverted them from the worship of the one God. Those symbols are still used upon the sheeple of the world today, the great herd. The sun represented the great doctrine of this religion. The moon represented the church reflecting the pure light of the sun. And the sun and the moon were worshipped as emblems of God. And fire, by the philosophers of fire, as an emblem of the sun, water. serpent, represented the full body of the priesthood, the initiates, was to be worshipped as an emblem of wisdom and eternal youth, since it renews its skin every year. Thus, it periodically casts off all symptoms of old age and begins anew, Reborn. And the bull, the most vigorous of animals and whose horns resembled those of the crescent moon, was also worshipped. The priests observed the avidity with which the barbarians adored these symbols and increased them. It was a time of great mystery and little understanding of any that was seen around them. man, the sun was seen to die, and darkness descended around them. It was a time of great danger and cold. And then, as if by magic, the sun was reborn each morning and made its way across the sky, where it old. and to measure their world by the seasons of the sun. That their religion reflected all of this. That religions today, even though denying any connection with this ancient paganism, still reflects this exact religion in its ceremonies and in its holy days. worship the visible is a disease of the soul inherent to all mankind, and the disease which these men could have healed, instead they pandered to. It is true that the first generation of men might have looked upon these merely as the empty symbols of a divine being. But it is also certain that in time the vulgar forgot the god in the emblem and worshipped that which their fathers had only honored, and therefore the symbol became the god. Egypt was the fountainhead of these idolatries, and it was in Egypt that the priests first applied real attributes to the sun and to the moon, whom they called his wife and sister and mother. And the sun became Osiris, the moon became Isis, brother and sister, mother and son, husband and wife. listening to this broadcast for a great period of time it may perhaps interest you to listen to the first the very first fable of the world same dark and troubled womb were born Simiramis, the queen of light, and the spirit of darkness. This Nimrod traveled over the whole world and civilized its inhabitants and taught in the art of agriculture. But his wife, Simiramis, built the first fortified cities and walls. But on his return, for him and in the midst of a banquet had him slain. He was nailed down in his prison which cast into the river, floated into the sea, which even in that ancient time was never mentioned but with marks of detestation. And when Semiramis learned, Sad news, she cut off a lock of her hair and put it on her mourning robes and wandered through the whole country in search of the dead body of her husband. Eventually, she found it. By casting a magic spell, A magical intercourse was obtained between Semiramis and the dead Nimrod, from which a child emerged. The child was Tammuz, and Semiramis fed the infant with her finger instead of with her breast and put him every night into fire to render him immortal. later, story of the same myth, only with different names, and I have to depart from my narration here and read this to you, from the midst of chaos was born Osiris. And at his birth a voice was heard proclaiming the ruler of all the earth is born and from the same dark and troubled womb were born isis the queen of light and Typhon, the spirit of darkness this osiris moved over the whole world and civilized its inhabitants and taught them the art of agriculture brought them together in societies for the mutual benefit and protection But on his return to Egypt, the jealous Typhon laid a stratagem for him, and in the midst of a banquet had him shut up in a chest, which exactly fitted his body. He was nailed down in his prison, which cast into the Nile, floated down to the sea by the Ta'idic mouth, which even in the time of Plutarch was never mentioned by an Egyptian except with disdain and loathing. When Isis heard the news, she cut off a lock of her hair and put on her mourning robes and wandered through the whole country in search of the chest which contained the dead body of her husband. At length she learnt that the chest had been carried by the waves to the shore of Iblos and that there lodged in the branches of a tamarisk bush, which quickly shot up It became a large and beautiful tree growing round the chest so that it could not be seen. The king of the country, amazed at the vast size the tree had so speedily acquired, ordered it to be cut down, to be hewn into a pillar to support the roof of his palace, the chest being still concealed in the trunk. The voice which had spoken from heaven at the birth of Osiris made known these things to poor Isis, who then went to the shore of Byblos and sat down silently by a fountain to weep. The damsels of the queen met her and accosted her, and the queen appointed her to be nurse to her child. And Isis fed the infant with her finger instead of with her breast, and put him every night into fire to render him immortal. While transforming herself into a swallow, she hovered around the pillar which was her husband's tomb and bemoaned her unhappy fate. It happened that the queen thus discovered her and shrieked when she saw her child surrounded by flames. By that cry, she broke the charm and deprived him of immortality. By that cry... Isis was summoned back to her goddess form and stood before the awestruck queen, shining with light and diffusing sweet fragrances around. She cut open the pillar, took the coffin with her, and opened it in a desert. There she embraced the cold corpse of Osiris and wept bitterly returned to Egypt and hid the coffin in a remote place. The typhon hunting by moonlight chanced to find it divided the corpse into 14 pieces. Again Isis set out on her weary search throughout the whole land sailing over the finny parts in a boat made of papyrus. She recovered all the fragments except one which had been thrown into the sea. Each of these she buried in the place where she found it which explains why in Egypt there are so many tombs of Osiris, and instead of the limb which was lost, she gave the phallus to the Egyptians, the disgusting worship of which was thence carried into Italy, into Greece, and into all the countries of the East. Today, people pay obeisance to this phallus when they stand in awe of the Washington Monument, or when they attend spike training. For truly, <laughs> for truly, it is the shaft. When Isis died, she was buried in a grove near Memphis. Over her grave was raised a statue covered from head to foot with a black veil, and underneath was engraved these divine words. Quote, I am all that has been, that is, that shall be, and none among mortals has yet dared to raise my veil." End quote. Beneath this veil, ladies and gentlemen, are concealed all the mysteries and learning of the past. A young scholar, his fingers covered with the dust of venerable folios, his eyes weary and reddened by nightly toil, will now attempt to lift a corner of this mysterious and sacred The folios are the old books that I have discovered in used bookstores across the country and around the world. And truly, in some of those dark and dim corners and shelves that have never been touched, I have been literally covered with the dust of years. That has settled upon these ancient volumes. that I could afford have found their way into my library where they still serve today. You see, these two deities, Isis and Osiris, were the parents of all the gods and goddesses of the heathens and were indeed those gods themselves worshipped under many different names. Imrads and Isis Osiris, Diana and Dionysus. The fable itself was received into the mythologies of the Hindus and the Romans. Sarah is said to have mutilated the Brahma as Typhon did Osiris and Venus to have lamented her slain Adonis as Isis wept for Her husband, God, brother, son. And as yet, the sun and moon alone were worshipped under these two names. And as we have seen, besides these twin beneficial spirits, men who had begun to recognize sin in their hearts had created an evil one who struggled with the power of light and fought with them for the soul's. Of myth. I must tell you that in my studies I find that it has been natural through all history for man to fabricate something that is worse than himself rather than take the responsibility upon his own shoulders. And even in the theology of the American Indians, which is the purest of the modern world, there is found A mahitu, or dark spirit. Osiris, or the sun, was now worshipped throughout the whole world, though under different names. He was the Mithra of the Persians, the Brahma of India, the Baal, or Adonis of the Phoenicians. He was the Apollo of the Greeks. The open of Scandinavia, the hue of the Britons, the byway of the Laplanders. Isis, ladies and gentlemen, also received the name of Isling. Ceres, Rhea, Venus, Vesta, Suboth, Niobe, Melissa, Nehalenia. Chinese and when among the ancient Britons. The Egyptians were sublime philosophers who had dictated theology to the world. And in Chaldea arose the first astrologers who watched the heavenly bodies with curiosity as well as with awe and who made divine discoveries, and who called themselves the interpreters of God. And to each star they gave a name, and to each day in the year they gave a star. And the Greeks and Romans, who were poets, wreathed these names into legends. Each name was a person, and each person was a God. From these stories of the stars originated the angels of the Jews, the genie of the Arabs, the heroes of the Greeks, and the saints of the Ramish church. And then, corruption grew upon corruption and superstition, flung black and hideous veil over the doctrines of religion. See, a religion, ladies and gentlemen, is lost, utterly lost as soon as it loses its simplicity. Truth has no mysteries. It is deceit alone that lurks in obscurity. It is only the lie that is hidden behind a door. Men multiplied God into a thousand names and created him always in their own image. Him, too, whom they had once deemed unworthy of any temple less noble than the floor of the earth and the mass dome of the sky which he had created, they worshipped in caves and then in temples, which were made of the trunks of trees, rudely sculptured and ranged in rows to imitate groves of trees, and with other trunks placed upon them transversely to form the cross that is seen when you hold up your son, were the first buildings of worship erected by man from no reverence for the deity, for God, but only to display that which they conceived to be a stupendous effort in art and to display their knowledge and power so as to more adequately rule subjugate the herd, the sheeple, the profane humanity that had not a clue. and still doesn't, by the way. It may be necessary to remind of you that a superior being, God, if you will, must view the elegant temples of the Romans, the gorgeous pagodas of India, and the Gothic cathedrals of the Western world with feelings similar to those with which we might contemplate the rude efforts of the early heathens. Worthy of the fruits and flowers which he himself had made and offered to him the entrails of beasts and the hearts of human beings. Can you imagine the audacity? compare, ladies and gentlemen, an ancient and fallen religion to the ship of the Argonauts, which the Greeks desiring to preserve to posterity, repairing in so many different ways that at length there did not remain a fragment of the original vessel which had borne to Colchis, the conqueror of the golden fleece. if you will, and then contemplate the condition of the nations in whom religion had been first born. We find the Egyptians adoring the most common of plants, the most contemptible of beasts, the most hideous of reptiles, the solemnity and pomp of their absurd ceremonies, them up to the ridicule of the whole wide world. Clemens of Alexandria describes one of their temples thusly, quote, The walls shine with gold and silver and with amber and sparkle with the gems of India and Ethiopia, and the recesses are concealed by splendid curtains. But if you enter the Penetralia and inquire for the image of God for whose sake the fame was built, one of the pastophori or some other attendant from the temple approaches with a solemn and mysterious face and putting aside the veil suffers you to obtain a glimpse of the divinity and there upon an altar you behold a snake or a crocodile or a cat or some other beast a fitter inhabitant of a cavern or a bogman of a temple or a giant penis a phalus of Osiris which Isis had substituted upon the altar of Egypt the priests of Egypt were always imposters but once so celebrated had degenerated into a race of jugglers circus if you will also the Chaldeans lived upon the fame of their fathers and upon their own base trickeries no one was honest anymore. No one could point to God. No one understood that all the symbols of the universe and the nature represented the power of an unseen God. That the first men worshipped the Brahmins or Brahmins and priests of India once so virtuous and celebrated as being so wise they too had fallen. Once they had forbidden the shedding of so much as an insect's blood. One day in the year alone, at the feast of Jagam, they were authorized to sacrifice the flesh of a beast, and from this many had refrained from attending, unable to conquer their feelings of abhorrence. But now, they had from the fierce Scythians and from the Phoenicians who traded on their coast to sacrifice the wife upon her husband's pair to appease the gentle Brahma with the blood of men, and that ceremony continues to this day. The angels who presided over them became savage demons, who scourged them on the cruel penances, even the lifetimes of suffering and famine. And in the sacred groves, where once the Brahmin Fathers had taught their precepts of love, men emaciated, careworn, even dying, wondered sadly, waiting for death as tortured prisoners wait for their liberty. But worse still, these wicked priests sought through the land for the most beautiful young women and trained them to dance in the temples, and to entice the devotees to their arms with lustful attitudes with languishing looks, and with their voices which mingled harmoniously with the golden bells suspended on their feet. They became prostitutes for the priesthood. They sang hymns to the gods in public and in private, enriched the treasuries, of the pagoda with their infamous earnings. And thus a pure, very simple religion was debased by the avarice and lewdness of its priests. Till so the temple became a den of thieves. So prostitution sat enthroned upon the altars of the gods, and today it continues, although prostitution in a different way. Most religious meanings Today, our spiritual consumerism begins with the problem, and when the hour is over, the problem has been solved, and the coffers of the priest, the minister, have been filled in the process. Greece and Rome, buried in sloth and luxury, did not escape the general contamination, the emblem of generation. The Thales, which ISIS had bestowed upon the Egyptians, which they had held in abstract reverence, had now obtained a prominent place in the festivals of these nations, as did the lingam, those of the Hindus, and it was openly created in possessions. Capitol as the Washington Monument and stands, mocking us in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. The sacred festivals and mysteries which they had received from the Egyptians and for which the women had been wont to prepare themselves by continence and the men by fasting were now mere vehicles for all the depravities of the very lowest kind. Men were permitted to join the women in the worship of Bacchus or Dionysus of the Montes, and even of Priapus. And so dissolute did the Dionysia become, ladies and gentlemen, that the civil powers were compelled forced to interfere with those of religion, and the bacchanalia were abolished by a decree of the Roman Senate, but it was too late, for Rome's fate had been sealed. And the Jews, the chosen people of God, had not their religion changed? Had not God, weary with their sins, yielded them to captivity? Gorged them with sorrow, menaced them with curses? And isn't the state of Israel more a secular state than a religious state today, despite the claims of Zionism? They worshipped Baal, Peor, the Priapus of Assyria. They sacrificed their children to Moloch. all people, all religions, all nations, all over this world have destroyed the simple precepts of all of the different religions of the world, and the none resemble even slightly what they began to be. And I'm not going to go deeper into that are so degrading to human nature, I can see you squirming out in your seats as it is. So I will have mercy. I will instead invite you to follow me by steadily listening to the hour of the time to a corner where you may begin
1: I was a 38-year-old college professor, and I taught art, and I had taken a group of students and my wife, and we had gone around Europe. We had just done a three-week tour. This was the next to the last day, and we were in Paris, and at 11 o'clock in the morning, I had um, a perforation of my stomach. When this happened, the pain was the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my life, and it just dropped me right down to the ground. So I'm twisting and kicking and moaning and screaming and yelling around on the floor. And my wife called an emergency, called the desk, and they called an emergency service. A doctor came, and he called an ambulance because he knew what was wrong. And they took me about eight miles across town to the... Public hospital to the general hospital in Paris, where I was taken into emergency, examined by two more doctors who knew exactly what was wrong with me, and then they took me away to the surgery hospital, which was a couple blocks away. And I was parked there because there wasn't any surgeon available to do the surgery. And so there I lay for um, eight to ten hours in that hospital with no medication no examination, no attention whatsoever, awaiting a surgeon to come to give me this operation that was critical. And it's now 8.30 at night. nurse came in and said that they were very sorry they weren't able to get a doctor for me. They'd get one the next day. Well, when she said that, I knew that it was over for me. I knew that I was... That the only thing that was keeping me alive was I didn't want to die. I was scared to death of dying because, as far as I knew, I was a atheist, non-believer person who lived for the the gratification they could get out of the moment, and you know, like dying to me was like the worst. I mean, next to the pain, dying was the worst thing that could happen to you because it's the end of life, and there was no more. There wasn't anything else. But when she said that, the idea of trying to exist for another minute, another hour in this pain, it wasn't worth it anymore. I'd been hanging on in the hopes that they told me that they'd get a doctor and do the surgery and open me up and and fix the problem inside of me. But when they said they couldn't get one, so I said to my wife, it's time for us to say goodbye because I'm going to die now. And she got up and she put her arms around me and mine on the bed and she... Told me how much she loved me, and I told her how much I loved her. This makes me really sad. And we made our goodbyes. You know, said those things that you'd say to the, we'd been married twenty years. say all those kinds of things. I can't tell you because I just start crying. But um, she finally sat down because she knew it was over, and I knew. And it was just so hard looking at her, crying like that, and I just closed, closed my eyes, just let it go. And I went unconscious. I probably was unconscious for a very short while, a few minutes probably. And I was conscious again, and I looked, opened my eyes and looked, and I was standing up next to my bed, and I knew exactly where I was and what the situation was. I mean, there was no confusion in my mind. I felt um, more alive, more real than I've ever felt in my life. You know, people ask me, you know, were you a ghost? I was, the op- I was just the opposite, very alive. As I'm looking around the room, I see that there's, underneath the sheet on the bed, there's something under the sheet, a body. And so I bent over the bed, and the head was turned away from me, and I looked at the face, and it looked like me that wasn't possible because I was standing there I'm alive I'm great you know I mean I'm more than great I'm like you know and so I tried to talk to my wife Can't you hear and me? Can't you hear me? You know, she couldn't hear me or That's see me. Not me. But I thought that here? she just was ignoring me. So I got very angry at her for ignoring me. For not paying attention to me. And I'm screaming and yelling at her what's going on here? Why, why is this body in the bed that looks like me, and how to get there and stuff like that? And I was thinking sneaking suspicion that the body in the bed was me, but I didn't want to think about that because that was too scary. So I'm getting really agitated and upset because this is all too weird. You know, this can't be happening, it's impossible. And I've got a hospital gown on, and it's like really, everything's really real. I hear people calling me outside the room, and they're saying to me, and soft, Gentle voices. Howard, you? you gotta come with us now. Come quickly. Come out here. So I go over to the doorway of the room, and there's people out in the hallway, and they're um, um, the hallway's dank. It's gray. It's not it's not light or dark. It's just gray, and they're all in grayness, and they're men and women, and what they're wearing might possibly be hospital uniforms. Um, and I asked them if they were from the doctor to take me to the operation. And I told them, I said, I'm really sick, and I'm going to have an operation, and I'm going to die if I don't get this operation. And I was supposed to have the operation eight hours ago. And I'm telling them all this stuff, and they're going, well, you know, we know, we know, we understand. come <laughs> Howard.
0: Howard. Howard.
1: left the room, which was real, clear, and bright, and went into the hallway, which was dank and hazy, and um, followed these people. We had a very long journey. There's no, there's no time, and whenever I make a reference to time, <laughs> it's just an illusion because there was no time in this place. But this journey, if I were to recreate it, I'd have to walk like from Nashville to Louisville or something to, to recreate the, the walk with these people. And as we walked, they stayed around me, kept moving me on, and it kept getting darker and darker. Um, they were becoming more and more openly hostile to me. First, they were sort of syrupy-sweet to get me to go with them. And then when I was going along with them, it was like, hurry up, keep moving, you know, shut up, stop asking. But, you know, it started getting more um, ugly. And so we get into complete darkness, right? Absolutely terrified. These people are very hostile. I don't know where I am. I said, I'm not going to go with you any further. They said, um, you're almost there. And we started to fight. I, just, I was trying to get away from them. They were pushing and pulling at me. And um, there are now a lot of them. What originally had been like a handful now was, since it was darkness, what we, made hundreds or thousands, I don't I, mean, I have no idea. And they're playing with me, You know, clearly they could've just destroyed me if they wanted to. They didn't want to destroy me. What they wanted to do was they wanted to inflict pain on me because they derived, pleasure isn't the right word, but they derived satisfaction out of the pain that I experienced. they were doing in the beginning part was it's real hard for me to talk about and I don't, I'm not going to tell you much about it, just a little bit because it gets, I mean it just gets too ugly Uh, but initially they were like tearing and biting Um, tearing with their fingernails scratching, gouging ripping defend myself, trying to fight them off, trying to get away from them, but this, it's like being uh, in a beehive, just hundreds of them all over me. And I eventually was just laying on the ground there, all ripped up. Um, Pain everywhere, inside, outside, and even the physical pain was the emotional pain of what had just happened to me, the utter degradation that I just experienced. I never once felt that it was uh, unjust or wrong. I heard my voice. It wasn't somebody else's voice. It wasn't the voice of God or anything. It was my voice. I heard it speak, but I didn't speak it. Whether it's the voice of my conscience or I don't know what it was, it was just. But I distinctly heard my voice say, "Pray to God." So I thought to myself, "I don't believe in God. Pray to God." And I'm thinking, even if I could pray, I don't know how to pray anymore. Haven't prayed, and at that time I probably hadn't prayed in 22, 23 years. So so I'm thinking, like when when I was a child and we said prayers in Sunday school and we said prayers in church. what did we say? And I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of it because the, to me, to pray was to recite something that I'd learned. That's what. It, that's what I thought a prayer was. Then. So I'm. Let's see. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, give us this day our daily bread. My country, tis of thee. No, that's not a prayer. That's wrong. Um, let's see. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers. and you know, I'm getting all mixed up. I can't remember how to pray. And then the people who were around me, if I every time I'd like mention God, these people who would attack me, beat me. Every time I mention God, it was as if mentioning God was throwing boiling water on them. They would shriek, they would scream, they would yell, and in worse profanity than, than anything I've ever in this world the other thing that was happening was that they they, uh, couldn't bear to be around me talking about God it was so so painful for them to hear about God that they kept backing away, backing away away. and so I had a sense that I could push them away by talking about God and so I'm trying to remember prayers and I'm getting all confused and mixed up and it was just all um, crazy and I'm lying there and eventually I realized that they're gone and I'm alone. Now, I was alone there for an eternity. What I mean by that was um, absolutely no sense of time. But I thought about my life. I thought about what I'd done and what I hadn't done. I thought about the situation that I was in. And this, the conclusion that I came to was is that I had lived an entirely, my adult life, I had lived a selfish God in my adult life was myself. I realized that I was um, something terribly, terribly wrong with my life and that the people that attacked me were the same kind of people that I was. They were not monsters. They weren't demons. They were people who had missed it. Fate, and in the back of my mind comes up an image of myself as a child sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing "Jesus loves me." And here in my mind, "Jesus loves me, la la la," "Jesus loves me, la la." And as I recalled myself saying and heard my, I could hear myself as a child singing. More important than anything else was that I could feel it in my heart that there was a time in my life when I was young and innocent, when I believed in something good, when I believed in something other than myself, when I believed in someone who was all good, all powerful, who really, really cared about me. And I knew that I wanted. I had lost that I'd thrown away, that I'd betrayed. I want, I wanted that back. That I didn't know Jesus, but I wanted to know Jesus. I didn't know His love, but I wanted to know him, His love. I didn't, I didn't know if He was real, but I wanted Him to be real. You know, I mean, it was, it was all just because I trusted that there was a time in my life that I had believed in something, and that um, I knew I had known once as a child that it was true, and I wanted to. Trust that it was true. So I called out into the darkness, "Jesus, please save me!" Please save me! And He came. He came. At first, there was a tiny little speck of light in the darkness. And it very rapidly, it got bright, and the light became so bright that, uh, if it were in this world, it would have uh, it would have consumed me. I just would have fried me to a crisp. But it wasn't. At all hot or dangerous, there. The light just came upon me. And he reached down. He was in this light. And he reached down out of this light and gently started to pick me up. And in his light, I could see that I was gore and filth and wounds all over. And I looked like roadkill. And he's gently putting his hands underneath me and very tenderly picking me up and as he's touching me everything just goes away all the wounds all the pain all the dirt just it just kind of like um, evaporated away and I'm like a hole and healed and inside um, just filled with his love which I wish I could be more articulate about. It's so frustrating not being able to tell people about it because, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I mean, it's it's like the it's the everything. You know, it's the all of of life is to know that love. And, and you know, I get to it and I just can't describe it. I can't convey it to you. So he's holding me and embracing me, rubbing my back. Like oh a father would his son like a mother would her daughter just gently rubbing my back and I'm bawling like a baby out of happiness. I mean like the...